0: May God be within us to refresh us, around us to protect us, before us to guide us, above us to bless us, beneath us to hold us up. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the 18th Sunday after Pentecost. The colic tells us that the theme for today is seeking to obtain God's promises that we may share in his heavenly treasure. The readings this morning are from the book of Esther, the letter of James, and the gospel according to St. Mark. Let us see how they each help to show the way to obtaining God's promises and sharing in his heavenly treasure. The Old Testament reading from the book of Esther is notable in that we rarely hear from this book in our lectionary. In Jewish tradition, This book is read at the Feast of Purim, which occurs on the 14th and 15th of the month of Adar. Adar spans portions of our February and March. Purim is a secular feast celebrating deliverance from a subtly planned anti-Jewish plot by one Haman, plotting to hang a Jew named Mordecai and to exterminate the Jews in the Persian Empire. The origins of the book are far from clear. However, it probably dates from the 2nd century B.C. or earlier. It seems to have been written to justify the observance in Palestine of a festival that was brought home by Jews from the dispersion. The feast was called Purim. The book is not history, but a legend set back early in the Persian period intended to explain the origin and significance of Purim. The king named Asuerus is better known as Xerxes I who reigned over the Persian Empire from 485 to 464 B.C. The term dispersion refers to Jews living outside of Palestine, beginning with the exile and continuing through the Greek and Roman periods. Esther was a Jew in Persia. When she was orphaned, her uncle Mordecai adopted her and raised her. When she was taken into the harem of Asuerus, Mordecai strictly told her not to let it be known that she was Jewish, and she seems to have kept the secret. She soon became highly favored by the king and advanced in status in the harem and ultimately was made queen. Haman was grand vizier to the king. As such, all people of lower status were required to make obeisance to him. This was an act that Mordecai, nor any Jew, could not perform. Thou shalt not bow down to them nor worship them. Haman was enraged by this slight and subtly convinced the king that the Jews refused to honor the king and further convinced the king to order their destruction and offered the king a very large bribe, all this without telling the king that it was the Jews he sought to exterminate. Needless to say, this caused Mordecai great distress. He succeeded in catching Esther's attention and was able to notify her of the plot to exterminate the Jews from the empire. Esther was able to catch the king's attention, and with as much subtlety as Haman, if not more, she invited the king and Haman to a feast at her residence. The king commanded Haman to come, and they went to Esther's feast thus setting up the scene, which is our reading this morning. The king appears to be enjoying himself immensely and asks Esther what her request is, and it shall be granted her. She seizes the moment she had sought and tells the king that she and her people have been sold. This is a reference to the bribe that Haman promised the king. She goes on and mentions the loss to the king. This would be the loss of the huge bribe, which the king would not receive if Haman's plot were frustrated. The king asks, who is he and where is he who has presumed to do this? The question shows that he sees no connection between Esther and the unnamed people whose destruction he has allowed. The king is utterly unaware of the plot which has developed in his own court and which he has furthered by his own actions. In a moment which must have absolutely delighted Esther, the king's eunuch brings up the gallows that Haman has built to hang Mordecai and suggests they be used to hang Haman. The king ordered the hanging, and it was carried out. There is a gap of material left out of our reading. After Haman's death, Esther receives all of Haman's estates. She then brings Mordecai before the king and tells him everything about her race and her upbringing by Mordecai. The king then gave Mordecai his signet ring, making him the grand vizier. The poetic justice is just too much. (laughs) Esther made him lord over all of Haman's estates. In this capacity, our reading tells us that Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the realm, telling them what had happened and ordering them to keep the new feast of Purim each year to remember their deliverance from their enemies by the intervention of Queen Esther. Queen Esther sets an example of using whatever position and assets were at her disposal to save her people from an evil plot and thereby assist them in obtaining God's promises and his heavenly treasure. Our reading from the Epistle of James is the final verses of the letter. It jumps from subject to subject. We begin with a proof text on anointing the sick with oil. Those of you who have attended the Wednesday Healing Mass Know that it is our practice at St. Luke's to anoint those who come forward to the rail and offer prayers for healing for themselves and or for others. There follow further exhortations to prayer for the sick, that their sins may be forgiven and that they may be healed. Finally, there is a verse that urges us to bring back to the faith those who have fallen away. It promises that anyone who does this will save his soul and, quote, cover a multitude of sins, close quote. It's a rather eclectic group of verses, but they do seem to fall under the umbrella of seeking God's promises to attain to the heavenly treasure. Moving now to Mark's Gospel, we have a series of sayings by Jesus, one of which appears to be out of context, fitting better with other verses in that gospel. First is the unknown exorcist. The disciples seem to be offended that someone not of their community is using Jesus' name to cast out demons, and they try to stop him. Jesus quickly corrects his disciples. He is telling them, take a wide view of your faith instead of a narrow one. His followers are not to be a little clique off in a corner, fenced in. He is telling them not to look for labels. Look for actions, attitudes, spirits. We are to salute the allies of the Christian faith and spirit wherever we find them. This part concludes with the famous line, quote, for he that is not against us is for us, close quote. <clears throat> the passage about giving a cup of cold water to a follower is probably misplaced, as it fits better with the verses immediately preceding our reading. However, in either case, the point is clear and powerful. Jesus stresses the high divine valuation of rudimentary kindness and service. Next are a series of sayings about avoiding things that cause us to sin so as to avoid being cast into hell. The Bible uses two principal words, both translated hell. One is shale. The other is Gehenna. Sheol is the place where the departed go to await the general resurrection. It is a place apart from the flesh, but not a place of punishment. Gehenna is hail, as my friends in Virginia call it. (laughs) The permanent place of fiery torment and punishment. In these passages, the word used is Gehenna, and that is emphasized by three references to, quote, unquenchable fire, close quote, quote, the fire is not quenched, close quote, and, quote, cast into hellfire, close quote. Jesus suggests the amputation of hand, foot, and eye if they cause us to sin, This is surely hyperbole, strongly overstating the case to make a point. And it does make a point. Avoiding sin is extremely important, although certainly not entirely possible since we all sin over and over. Hopefully those sins are little ones, but nonetheless... Entrance into the kingdom of God is such a prize, such a treasure, that anything that might prevent that, no matter how good it may be in itself, should be fiercely avoided. The principle of the sacrifice of the lesser good for the sake of the greater good It's one that runs all through life. There is no activity to which the wisdom of this command does not apply. Certainly, it calls for the sacrifice of what is obviously evil, the indulgence of gross appetite, the injury we do to others, the sloth that so easily takes hold of us, These call for serious measures to eliminate them, painful and costly perhaps, if life is to be preserved. This saying calls for stress on the eternal validity of the distinction between good and evil, a distinction which is all too often blurred when the idea of the eternal consequences of evil doing are forgotten. We cannot set arbitrary limits on the pursuing love of God. He may well choose to throw his arms around us and welcome us to heaven. Yet the fearful possibility of ultimate refusal remains. Next is the saying on salt, and a rather confusing one at that. Salt, both as preservative and seasoning, in ancient Palestine was not the pure product we are used to. It was mixed with other things, such as sand. Doesn't that sound appealing? (laughs) Salt was of great value, being used in lieu of money. Roman soldiers were paid partially in salt leading to our word, salary. Because of its value, there was a temptation to dilute it with base materials to make it go farther. If it were diluted too much, nothing could correct that. We, quote, lose our saltiness, close quote, when humility gives way to self-assertion when there is no sign of the cross in our lives, no stigmata on mind or spirit, when we grow so cloyingly sweet in disposition and judgment that we see no monstrous wrong, or if we do see it, we do not feel impelled to struggle against it. Perhaps a better way More understandable, to render the last line, that is, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another, is maintain peacefully your own distinct character and service. It's pretty clear to me that following the admonitions in this gospel passage will lead us to seek to obtain God's promises that we may attain to the heavenly treasure. So, think on Queen Esther, boldly using all her powers to save her people from destruction. Think on James, urging us to pray for the sick and to bring back to the faith those who have strayed. And think on Jesus and this collection of sayings which all point to salvation. Think on these things, and you should move closer to attaining the heavenly treasure. Also, always remember that which is of first importance, that is, that God sent his only son to become man, that he might lead us out of the errors of our ways and toward God, that he was crucified for our sins and raised from the dead, showing that the powers of evil cannot overcome God's power, the power of love and that he ascended to heaven, there to reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And always remember that he longs for each of us to seek to obtain God's promises and attain to the heavenly treasure, to be with him eternally. Amen.